Welcome to our morning service. Lovely to see you all, whether you're here in person or joining us online. Great to have you with us. If you are a visitor or a newcomer, it's particularly a warm welcome for you. We do pray you will experience something of the love and the peace of Jesus Christ in your time with us this morning. And do please stay for some refreshments afterwards. It'd be great to, uh, to get to know you over a cup of coffee. Uh, This morning we're starting a new sermon series in the run-up to Easter, uh, focusing on the seven sayings of Jesus on the cross. We're starting this morning with Jesus' words to his Father, when he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And Saab will be preaching on that later. But before we do anything else, let's just have a moment of quiet to remember why we're here, to prepare our hearts and minds to meet with the Lord, and then I'll pray in a minute. It's a moment of just of quiet. Let's focus on God. God of grace, you've given us minds to know you, hearts to love you, voices to sing your praise. So we pray you'd fill us with your spirit, that our hearts may be filled with joy, hope, and peace, that we might respond to opportunities that we might be strengthened to face challenges, that we might become the persons we are called to be, that we might learn to respect our sisters and brothers, that we might see the needs of others and give help, that we may celebrate your glory and worship you in spirit and in truth. Father God, we praise you that you love to hear the prayers of your people when we bring them to you through your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that you have exalted him to the highest place and he now intercedes on our behalf. Thank you that you listen to him because he's been perfectly obedient to you through his death on the cross. And so we come to you now with confidence, not because we deserve our prayers to be answered, but because of your loving kindness towards us. We thank you that we can come together as your church to pray and we pray that during our week of prayer this week that you would help us to grow in dependence on you and in love for one another. Help us to hear from you as we seek your will for us as a church. Father, we pray for your world. We recognize that um, there are many places where there is unrest and conflict at this time. We think of Ukraine and Gaza, think of Sudan, Ethiopia and many others. Lord, peace seems a long way away, but we pray that you would bring peace. We pray you would change the hearts of those involved in conflict, that they would want peace. Pray that leaders of nations would serve their countries seeking their best and not just their own power. Lord, take away hearts of corruption. And Lord, we know that real change is only possible when hearts are changed. So we do pray that uh, they would know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they would know the forgiveness he brings and be able to forgive others. Father, we pray for our partners in the gospel. And pray this morning for Wells in Hannah at Scoria. Pray that you would enable them to be 
faithful and to persevere in their ministry, that you would cause it to be fruitful. And bless them as a, as a family, we pray. Pray for Nathan and Lisa as they lead that all-age service this morning, that through them you would draw people into your kingdom and encourage those who are already your people to grow in their love for you. Father, pray for our overseas partners and pray this morning for Challenge Ministries Swaziland, for the many projects and programs in which they're involved, for the, the church planting program, which we have been able to support, uh, for Pastor, Twa- Pastor Twala, who's involved in that. Bless him and that church, we pray. And we do pray for the, the orphaned and vulnerable children that they care for. Pray that many of them would come to know Jesus as their saviour through the love of his people that they have experienced themselves. Lord, we pray for the ministries we're involved in here as a church. Um, and this morning we do pray for the work of Toybox. Thank you for the good relationships that have been established with, with parents and carers. Thank you for the opportunities to encourage and support them as they open up and share the challenges that uh, they're going through in their lives. Pray for those who give the Bible talks each week, that uh, you would speak through them. And as people take away the Bible verse cards, that they would read and reflect on them and be impacted by them. Father, we thank you for our church family here. And we do rejoice with those who rejoice. We, we pray for Grant and Zoe as they make their final preparations for their wedding next Saturday. We pray that you would equip them to fulfill their promises to one another as husband and wife that they will be able to show the same sacrificial love that Jesus showed towards his bride, the church. Father, we also mourn with those who mourn and pray in particular for Beryl Fleming this week as she prepares for the funeral of her husband Ian on Thursday. We pray for her and her family and, and others grieving at this time that they would know your comfort they would know your strength in their loss. Pray for those undergoing medical treatment or recovering from surgery. We do pray for Veronica, that she would recover well from her operation this week. Pray for Helen as she cares for her mum. And Lord, we lift up to you all those who are caring for elderly and infirm parents at this time. Give them the strength, give them the patience. Give them the stamina, we pray. Father, we pray for those facing financial worries or, or job insecurity, that you would enable them to cast their, their anxieties on Jesus, enable them to find rest in him. And finally, we pray for the reading and preaching of your word. Now we pray for Vicky as she reads the psalm as he opens it up. We pray for us all here as we listen to you speak to us, that you would enable us to know Jesus Christ, to know him better, and to become more like him. In his name we pray. Amen. If you want to turn in your Bibles to our Bible reading, which Vicky is going to bring for us, it's Luke chapter 23, and verse 26 to 34. The Crucifixion of Jesus. As the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, 
and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Uh, Vicky, thank you so much uh, for reading for us this morning. Uh, Good morning to you all. Uh, Please do uh, keep your Bibles open. It would be a great help for me if you're able to follow along with me this morning. Uh, But before I start, let me just uh, pray. Uh, Father God, we do thank you uh, so much uh, for your word. Thank you that it is living, uh, that it is alive. I pray that uh, uh, by your spirit, uh, please would you take uh, these words, uh, would you apply them uh, to our heart? Might we see more of uh, the glory of the Lord Jesus and what you have done for us in and through him? And might our hearts be melted? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, This week we saw the start of the season of Lent. Uh, No doubt some of us enjoyed uh, more than our fair share of pancakes uh, on Wednesday, uh, on the day that, uh, on Tuesday, forgive me, on Tuesday. Uh, And uh, Lent is a period that starts on the Wednesday. And uh, uh, it's a period of time that really allows us uh, as Christians to have a sustained reflection on what it means for Jesus to have gone to the cross. And the season of Lent runs for 40 days, uh, ends on the Thursday before Good Friday, and it really allows us to ponder and to meditate on what has been done for us, what Easter uh, is telling us. And as we read the gospel accounts, the eyewitnesses accounts of Jesus' life, his death, uh, his resurrection, we can see just, just by dint of word count alone, the writers spend a lot of time on that final section of Jesus' life. So they're telling us, look at the life and the death and the resurrection, the death and the resurrection of Jesus, because there's treasure here for us. Now, over the coming weeks, we're going to be looking uh, at these seven sayings of Jesus as he dies on a Roman cross. Uh, These statements... Uh, that Jesus makes as he dies, uh, really help us to look into what it means for us uh, to be uh, Christian, what it means in terms of our relationship for God, uh, with God, and also what it means for our relationship with one another. And I want us, as we journey through these seven sayings, uh, to see that uh, these statements really, really humble us. They challenge us. But at the very same time, they thrill our hearts if we will allow the Spirit to make them alive in our hearts. So today, uh, we're looking at the first uh, of those seven statements from Luke 23. 
uh, Jesus said, forgive their father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Now, just in terms of context, uh, just a few days before Jesus says this, uh, he's ridden into the capital city of Jerusalem and people have held him as king. But in the 24 hours before Jesus makes this statement, uh, he's been betrayed by one of his disciples. Uh, He's been abandoned by the arrest. He's been denied by his closest friends. He's been mocked. He's been beaten. He's been convicted by a kangaroo court, humiliated, tortured, and then crucified. And after all of that, Jesus says to his father in heaven, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Now, as we dwell on this prayer of Jesus, I want us this morning to see these two things. Firstly, I want us to see a God who forgives. And for us to see that as we see that forgiveness, it will melt our hearts and we will become a people who forgive. Yeah? A God who forgives creates a people who forgive. Now, a little while back, I was uh, chatting with a, a non-Christian uh, friend of mine, and uh, we got onto the subject uh, of how our relationship with God has actually been broken. And I explained to him uh, that uh, having been made by God for relationship with him, uh, humanity's turned its back on God. We've taken the good things that God has given us, and we have had little or no regard for the giver of the things that we've been given. And as a result of that, we've hurt ourselves, we hurt one another, and so we need to be forgiven. And I remember he just looked at me kind of blankly and said, well, that's okay. God's big, right? He's big. He, he can forgive. It's fine. It's no big deal. Come on, Sabi said, uh, the God that you say created all things, uh, threw the stars into space, knows them by name. Uh, holds all of time in his hands, surely somebody that big can forgive me. In fact, it would be not loving of him not to forgive me. You see, the assumption that lies underneath his comment was the cultural belief at the moment that we're actually inherently good people. Now, yeah, we're not perfect, but inherently we're good. We're good. And if there's anything that's wrong with us, well, you know what? It's no big deal. Yeah. Just contactless and it's done. And this chap asserted that if he'd done something wrong, well, he was sure that the offense that he'd caused God, well, it's, it's small, right? And God didn't mind picking up the tab. Forgiveness, he argued, is a small thing and it's an easy thing. But is it? But is it? I want to suggest this morning that actually, if you understand forgiveness, you'll know that forgiveness costs. Uh, In Jesus' parables, many of them, he speaks about uh, forgiveness and he uses the image of financial debt uh, as a way for us to look into that. And so I want to do that uh, this morning as well. I want us to think about forgiveness as something that is really, really costly where someone has to pay where someone has to pay now that seems like quite an abstract idea doesn't it i know 
So uh, let's, uh, let's use a thought experiment to, to help us uh, see this. Uh, the wonderful folk of Long Crendon invite me to uh, supper at their house one day. One of you invites me across. We have a lovely meal together. At the end of the meal, um, you, would you like a cup of coffee? Of course I'd love a cup of coffee. Have a cup of coffee. It's really hot, and I put it on your beautifully lacquered table without a placemat. That's what happens. The table has become marked. In that moment, because of what's happened, our relationship, a bit like the table, has been broken. A debt or a gap has been created between us. Okay? Now, uh, one of two things can happen now. You can either say to me, don't worry, Saab, I forgive you. In which case, you're going to have to pay for the French polisher to come and restore your table. So forgiving me has cost you. In your forgiveness of me, you have taken on the debt of the broken relationship and you're going to pay it. Once you've paid it, uh, the table is restored uh, and our relationship has been restored again. Or, or you could say, no way, no way, you should have known better. Yet yeah, you've marked the table, you pay for the French polisher. So the debt comes to me. You see, the debt doesn't go away. It just gets moved to one party or the other. Somebody has to pay. Forgiveness costs. Now, despite that blunder at your home, you invite me back uh, the following week uh, for supper again. And after dinner, you go off to make coffee. Uh, give me a placemat this time. And you leave me in the drawing room. Now, I look around and I say, oh, wow, look, there's a, there's a nice painting there. And as I wait for you to bring the coffee, I think, a bit bored. Do you know what I'm going to do? I quite fancy taking that painting down and making a 25-piece jigsaw with a pair of scissors. So I take it down, snip, 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 and faster than you can say Van Gogh's my uncle, I've got a new 25-piece jigsaw. Now, you return to the room, and you are absolutely aghast. Now, what I thought was a cheap print turns out was actually the real thing. You were the mystery buyer in 1987 that paid £25 million for Van Gogh's sunflowers. And you calmly tell me that painting that I had made a jigsaw from 10 minutes before had been worth £80 million. £80 million. Now, our relationship's broken. There's a debt of £80 million between you and me. Now, let me tell you, if I sold everything I had, cashed in all of my shares, worked every day between now and the day that the Lord calls me home and gave you every penny I had, I'd still be a country mile short of £80 million. I cannot, I cannot make good the debt that exists. I am an insolvent debtor as I stand before you. To make the relationship right, 
for there to be forgiveness, you will have to absorb the debt. You will have to forgive me. Now, you may be sitting there thinking, silly example. Uh, I'm not the sort of person that would uh, damage a, uh, uh, the work of a master artist. I'd see it. I'd know it. But look around the room. Look around the room. Do you see that every person in this room is the work of a master artist? You see, we are the people that God chose before the very foundation of the world, before there was time, before there was space, before there was matter. It's Ephesians chapter 1. And that the Lord put his hands into the dust and formed us, created us, and breathed life into each one of us. And that God has created each one of us with extreme care and patience, knitting us together in our mother's womb. And he sustains each and every one of us with the power of his word. Your next breath comes because he is sustaining you. Each one of us is not the work of just any old artist. Each one of us is the work of the greatest artist, the master craftsman. So each time we slight one another, we hurt one another, we speak ill of one another, we are damaging the work of the greatest artist ever. And we're creating a debt that we cannot pay. It's a debt that's owed to the one who created us. It's owed to God. And we can never make that right. And the words that we looked at this morning are uh, the words of Jesus on the cross. Asking for his father to forgive those who crucified him. He says, forgive them. They do not know what they do. And friends, those are such encouraging words for us. It reveals that the God that we worship, the one true living God, is the one who will forgive. The one who recognizes that the debt is beyond our capacity to pay. And he sees that and knows that. And he knows that the only way that we can be made right with him, the only way, is for God himself to pay the price. And he did. So do you see, right at the heart of the Christian faith, right at the very heart, is forgiveness. Is forgiveness. And it reveals that being made right with God is, is, is not something that we achieve. Uh, it's not us with a perfect record presenting that to God. But it's him through Jesus having the perfect record and then giving that to us to pay the price. Not because we merit it. Not because we're inherently good. But because of God's great mercy. Because of his love for us. And so Jesus came. He came and he set aside his glory in heaven where he was worshipped and adored by the angels. And he came and he was born to an unmarried teenage mother in a stable to become like us. He stood down from his throne and he climbed a Roman cross 
to pay the debt that we deserve. He took off his royal crown and he put on the crown of thorns that was made for us. He paid our debt willingly. The price that we could never pay. He paid the price for our forgiveness. We're the only payment that could ever make us right with God. His own blood and his own life. Forgiveness costs. Forgiveness costs. And it cost the Son of God his life. So do you want to know what love looks like? Do you want to know what love looks like? It looks like the king of the universe forgiving us and making us right with the Father. Laying down his life. Giving up his rights. Not calling on his privileges. And all of that so that he could have us. God's love for us is bound so tightly with his forgiveness of us. And that's the call for us to, as we journey through Lent is to meditate on that truth. To allow the love of God expressed in his forgiveness of us to allow the spirit to take that truth, shine it abroad brightly in our hearts that our hearts might be melted that our hearts might be melted. And as our hearts are melted, we will become a people who forgive. Now, I, I want us to think this morning about what it means for us to be a people that forgive. Uh, we, we could run an entire mini-series uh, on this, but I just want to sketch out uh, a few uh, of the big reasons, really, for us to be forgiving. <clears throat> now, forgiveness is absolutely not something that the world around us prizes highly. It, it, it really, it, it never, it never has. Uh, in the ancient world, forgiveness, it wasn't a virtue. It was deemed to be a weakness. And today, we live in a highly individualistic, rights-driven culture. Uh, the approach that many take... Uh, when we find ourselves uh, at odds with others, is just cancel them. Blank them when we meet them, uh, to unfollow them or to defriend them. Send their emails into spam. To treat them as though they are dead to us. Or at the other extreme, yeah, to shout them down in a fit of rage, uh, either in person uh, or by email. You know, capital letters, lots of exclamation marks and angry face emojis. Yeah, to do that. But as Christians, we are not called to either of those two responses. In the light of what God has done, we are called to forgive. Uh, there are so many passages in the New Testament uh, that point uh, to this, uh, but I just want us to uh, briefly look at uh, these three, uh, Ephesians 4, uh, and then two, uh, Colossians 2 and Colossians uh, 3. And we're called to have forgiveness as the pattern of our lives because that was the pattern of our Father in heaven, which we've seen modeled by Jesus. And, and we see that there in uh, Ephesians 4. 
Now, because of God's mercy, uh, his forgiveness is the reason that we've been made right. Because we've been forgiven the biggest debt imaginable. Our relationship has been made right. And in Colossians, we read that all of our trespasses have been forgiven us. The record of debt has been cancelled. It's been set aside. And indeed, it's been nailed to the cross. And if we've become Christians through God forgiving us, then there should be a spirit of forgiveness evident in our own lives. So, what is forgiveness for us? Uh, Theologian uh, wrote this. I think it's a pretty good uh, way to think about this. It says, forgiveness is wanting the good, not the ruin, of the one who wronged you in spite of the wrong and then acting for their good. You won't let the wrong strangle your love. You won't let their sin make you sin. You'll lay it down, pray for their good, and work for it. A pretty helpful definition. See, at the point that we've been wronged, this should be the attitude of our hearts. Uh, We want the good of those who have hurt us. We don't want their wrong to strangle our love for them, not to allow their wrong to make us sin, not to lash out against them, to put the anger and the resentment and the fear and all of those emotions down and to pray for their good and to work for their good. Now, when we don't forgive, when we harbor resentment, when we harbor anger towards others, when we let that fill our minds, it harms us. It harms us. Our blood pressure rises. There's adrenaline release. We have this permanent fight or flight reflex going on. It upsets the hormonal balance. We end up with heart disease, heart failure, mental conditions of anxiety and depression. Holding on to that anger and resentment actually starts to degrade us. It starts to break us down. Uh, the Anglican uh, minister, Nicky Gumbel, once said that uh, not forgiving people for holding on to that anger, he said, it's like eating rat poison yourself and then hoping that the other person is going to get ill. It's like eating the rat poison yourself and then expecting the other person to get ill. When we don't forgive, we are just hurting ourselves. Uh, the, the late uh, Tim Keller in his book on forgiveness says that uh, he says that forgiveness is given before it's felt. It's given before it's felt. Uh, he, he recognizes that if we're just going to wait until we feel good or feel good enough before we forgive, we, we could be waiting for a very, very long time. The call is in our hearts to forgive. To agree to put down the anger, to agree to put down the resentment and pray and work for the good of the other. And as we do that, as we pray for the other, it will drain away the anger, it will drain away the resentment. Because when we pray, yeah, when we pray, we come before our Heavenly Father. And we know that the only reason that we are in that place, being able to come before the Father, is because of our utter brokenness. That we are no different from anyone else. And it's only because of the blood of the Lamb, only because of Christ's blood, can we get 
into the presence of our Father. We are no different from those that we think have hurt us. And so as we come before our Father to pray, it just humbles us. It softens us. And it will heal us. Now, not forgiving on the other hand, just of replaying again and again and again the tapes of the wrongs that have been committed against us, well, that just locks us in a cycle of resentment, of hurt, of anger, and then reprieve. And then before you know where you are, you're back in the anger, the hurt. And so it goes on and on and on. All the time we refuse to forgive the other person in our heart. All the time we hold on to those feelings, we'll find that we've been locked in a prison of our own anger, darkening our own hearts, hardening our hearts, and putting down a root of bitterness. Uh, Lewis Smedes, uh, the author, uh, Christian author, uh, wrote that uh, to forgive uh, is to set a prisoner free and then to discover that the prisoner was you. So forgiveness is something that we have to do in our own hearts. And that means that forgiveness can be real, even if the other person doesn't accept it or doesn't want it. And when we get to that place, we're free. We're free. See, right at the heart of us being able to forgive is having the forgiveness of the gospel overflowing uh, in our hearts. Uh, To forgive others, yet we need the well of forgiveness in our own hearts to be able to draw upon that, to allow the Spirit to pour the refreshing, the calming, and the restoring waters of God's forgiveness of us onto the flames of anger and resentment are in our hearts caused by the wrongs that have been done to us by others. So do you see the problem here? The problem is if the well of forgiveness that we have in our own hearts is is too small or it's dry, then we'll find forgiving others to be really hard. And so the season of Lent is just brilliant for us to be able to stop, to reflect, and to meditate on just how much we Each one of us has been forgiven. And then just invite the Spirit to just make that real in your hearts. And you'll find that well of living water coming up to give you the strength that you need to put out the flames of anger, resentment and bitterness that are all around our hearts. That said, there are a whole set of myths uh, about forgiveness that we do need to be aware of. Yeah, uh, It's easy uh, with the things that I've said already about forgiveness uh, for those of us who have tender hearts, those of us who have gentle spirits, uh, for us to be bullied or controlled into accepting or excusing very, very bad behavior. Or to be told, uh, you're a Christian. Just forgive. I wonder how many of us have been lanced by that spear. Uh, So uh, we need to know what forgiveness is. Uh, That's what we've just been doing. But we also need to know what forgiveness 
isn't. Now, so far, uh, I've spoken about the work that we can do in our own hearts. But the reason that we're called to forgive is because there's been a wrong done against us. There's been a wrong done by someone else. And there's a complicated overlap between the work of forgiveness that we do in our own hearts uh, in bringing the gospel to bear and the work that needs to happen between two or more people where there's been a wrong that's been done. Yeah, there's a difference between those two, and lots of people are confused uh, about that. So let's uh, just very quickly uh, skip through some of these myths. So the first myth about forgiveness is that uh, forgiveness is thinking or acting as though no great wrong has been done. Uh, the myth is receiving forgiveness from those that we've hurt. If we receive forgiveness from them, the myth is that actually the harm wasn't significant. No, absolutely no. Uh, Forgiveness is about how we process and release the hurt and the pain under the power of the Spirit as he, God, nurses us. It has nothing to do with minimizing, trivializing the harm that's been done to us. So, So if you approach someone you know you've harmed in a big way and have received forgiveness... Yeah, please, please understand that is absolutely not them saying that the offense that you caused was a small thing. Uh, Just as Jesus' father forgave those who nailed Jesus to the tree, God's forgiveness does not minimize the horror of that offense. So that's myth one. Myth two, saying sorry is the same thing as repenting and asking for forgiveness. This is probably the most common myth. Uh, Where we've been wronged, uh, and the one who's caused offence comes along and says, well, I said I was sorry. Surely we can now just put all that behind us, and we can crack on as normal. Uh, That is to fail to understand that the wrong is against God. And so there should be repentance. And it also fails to understand just how people work. Uh, So if we know of a recognizable wrong that we've done, then we must confess our sins before God in prayer. We're seeking a contrite heart. Because without true contrition, owning the problem that we've caused, there just will not be, there cannot be any meaningful Repentance. Without contrition, we're simply blame shifting, we're deflecting, we're projecting, we're minimizing, we're justifying, we're relativizing, or denying the pain that we caused the other. Let's not do that. Own it. And go to God in prayer and be humbled. And only when God has done that work in our heart Should we then go and speak to the person that we've offended? Uh, Without contrition, there will be no heartfelt acknowledgement of the hurt that's been caused. And then speak specifically into the wrong we've done. Acknowledge the hurt and accept the consequences. And then demonstrate true repentance. A real and persistent change in attitude and behavior. 
just as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 7. And then having done all of those things, then ask for forgiveness. And, and, and this is why repeating bad behavior is so harmful in restoring relationships, because it just demonstrates actually there wasn't any true repentance. And for those uh, who've been wronged, remember this. Remember the offense against us. If it is a serious one, it creates a very, very large debt. And it's going to take time for you to pay that debt down. So no, it will take time. Be patient. Okay? Uh, And just be at peace with that. Thirdly, forgiveness. This is the third myth. Forgiveness is the same thing as reconciliation. Uh, There can be a view that forgiveness is the same thing as reconciliation. That when I forgive someone, that's the same thing as being restored back to the relationship as it was before. But we need to understand that forgiveness and reconciliation, yeah, they're two very different things. Uh, forgiveness, if you like, it's the door. Forgiveness is the door through which reconciliation is possible. Forgiveness is an event of the heart of the person who's been hurt, and it prepares the way for reconciliation. And reconciliation happens as trust is rebuilt, and only as the fruit of repentance is seen can the relationship be restored, and once restored, deepened. But critical to this is the fruit of repentance in the one who's caused the hurt. Unhealthy attitudes put to death, Unhelpful behaviors uprooted and evidence of actions reflecting the new self. This is what Paul describes in Galatians 5, doesn't he? Walk in step with the spirit without the fruit of repentance. Reconciliation will be difficult. And the Bible recognizes that it's not always possible to reestablish a wonderful relationship. Uh, Paul says in Romans 12:18, if it's possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. The Bible recognizes it may not be possible to be fully reconciled. But we can resolve to live peaceably with all. Which is why whether uh, we're hurt or if we've caused the hurt, we must keep going back to the cry of Jesus on the cross. Father, forgive them. And that will change our hearts. Uh, Myth four, and the final myth, forgiveness erases consequences. Uh, One of the reasons that we find it hard uh, to forgive is because we wonder, how is justice? How is justice going to be done? Uh, If I forgive, does that mean that the offender's just going to get off scot-free? Forgiveness does not mean that there are no consequences. Uh, If my child uh, stole a large sum of money from me, uh, it would be right for me to forgive them that. But it would also be right for me to report that theft to the police and for my child to face the consequences of his actions. Loving forgiveness does not erase the consequences of the wrong. It's not loving to allow someone to keep sinning against you. It's loving to allow the person to bear the consequences of their actions, to help them to stop sinning. Forgiveness does not erase consequences. 
And it doesn't stop us seeking justice. But we must do that wisely. And only after we have truly forgiven. If we haven't truly forgiven, we'll be seeking vengeance, not justice. That's why having a forgiving heart is so, so important. There's so much more that we could say on this, uh, that we could lift out of the 12 words that Jesus spoke on the cross today, but I've been beaten by the clock. Um, We've uh, covered uh, a lot of ground uh, this morning, uh, but let me just give you two things to take away. Uh, Firstly, through Jesus, we've been forgiven. Our biggest debt has been paid. We have been made right with God. Jesus himself calls to the Father for our forgiveness. Delight in that. Delight in that. Secondly, uh, the more of the forgiveness of God that we can see, the more that we will be able to allow the Holy Spirit to pour God's love into our hearts. And the more our hearts will be melted, will be transformed Allowing us to become people who can forgive. Let's pray. Jesus cried, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Uh, Father God, we do thank you so much that forgiveness is right at the heart of the Christian message. Uh, Thank you that your forgiveness is an incredible act of grace, of mercy unimaginable by us. So, Father God, would you please allow us as we journey through Lent to dwell upon just what we have been forgiven, what we have been saved from, and how you have done that. Please, would you, by your Spirit, just make that alive in our hearts. Please, would you uh, allow your love to shine brightly abroad in our hearts and might the well of living water just gush with overflowing love from you that we might be people with a melted heart who seek forgiveness. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Conscious that uh, today's uh, subject may have raised um, issues for for some of you and um, you may need some prayer after the, this morning. Um, just to say the prayer ministry team are available um, in the corner over here with the red lanyards. Do please um, um, go and approach them. They'd be very happy to pray with you. Uh, maybe pray with somebody around you or somebody you, you're conscious of you need to, to pray with um, from the church family. Refreshments will be served afterwards. Don't feel you have to rush away, but spend some time in here uh, as long as you, you feel you need to. Let me close with some words. From Revelation. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever.